0: Take two. It's Ken Dashow's okay. Beatles Revolution. One, two, three, four. <laughs> on the iHeartRadio. Beatles Revolution number 45. Producer Andrew joins me for this special occasion. Uh, I think it is since it's about the Beatles, and Sir James Paul McCartney is turning 76 years old on, as we're recording this, on uh, June 18th. He was born in 1942 in the pool. Um, Pretty good, I would say a good career, you know, as you look back, he's probably, you could say he's done all right. Um, McCartney simply, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, one of the most successful composers and performers of all time. That's not hyperbole, (laughs) that's just a fact. Uh, Andrew, I was thinking, you know how they do ballplayers before the World Series and they do stats and you're pitching matchups and he's got an ERA of 1.5 at night. You want to do some Paul stats? Uh, Guinness Book of World Records. Yesterday, the most covered song ever written by anyone. That includes Gershwin, that includes Broadway, anyone. More than 2,200 artists have covered yesterday and the list still grows. Those are just the ones that have recorded it. Right, and the ones who simply sing it in their act, there's a few hundred thousand of those. Uh, 60 gold discs, 43 with the Beatles, 17 with Wings. He's a member of the Beatles, sales of over 100 million singles, 100 million albums. Um, He jointly wrote, or solo wrote, 43 songs which sold 1 million or more records between 62 and 78. When you say the most successful songwriter ever... He's written or co-written 188 chart-topping, chart rec- charted records in the UK. 91 reached the top 10, 33 made number one. Paul McCartney has written or co-written 32 number one singles on Billboard. 20 with the Beatles, seven solo with, with Wings. Uh, co-writer of "World Without Love" for Peter and Gordon. Um, I mean, it just no. But people spend their entire life. Bands spend their whole life looking for a second song. If you're lucky enough to have that one hit. And the rest of your career, oh, they never had a second yeah. one. Your friends Foghat, yeah. Well, Foghat had a couple, but they have they slow had a
1: couple ride. that were fool for the city. They they were they were not hits. They were not crossover. They were right f- hits for a rock band. Right, but, but it's not a different world.
0: Number one yeah. hits. I mean, the last Beatles hit, you know, Hey Jude, seven minutes long. They didn't know what to do with a seven minute long song. Highest sales in the UK, chopped the US charts for nine weeks. It just flows from this guy like an open fire hydrant, and then you get to the awards that he was given.
1: Right, so we have this list of awards. Now, Paul's at the the place in his career where people just make up awards <laughs> to give to you in hopes that maybe you'll come to their event, maybe they'll get a phone call, maybe you'll write a letter to them, any acknowledgment.
0: On the back of an envelope that sure. says, hey, thanks.
1: But here are some of the awards that you may have heard of. Academy Award winner, that's with the Beatles,
0: 1971. Right,
1: for the Let It Be. For Let It Be. 18-time Grammy Award winner. So nine with the Beatles, six as a solo artist, two with Wings, and one as part of a joint collaboration. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, as you mentioned. Class of 88 with the Beatles, um, and class of 99 solo. Yet to be inducted with wings.
0: Right, and we did a previous podcast where we gave the evidence why he should be.
1: Is anyone a three-time inductee in the Hall of Fame?
0: Yes, Eric Clapton. Oh, right. With, right, uh, uh, Yardbirds, Cream,
1: yeah. and Solo. Of course. He's a member of the Order of the British Empire,
0: um, which is different than being knighted. Right. The first step is the is the MBE, a okay. member, and then you get the OBE, you get the Order. Mm-hmm. Planet...
1: I don't know, why is this They on named here? a planet for him They named a planet McCartney It's planet <laughs> 4148 So check your telescopes for that one <laughs> What else um, Honorary doctor Of uh, University of Sussex In 1988 Knighted in 97 uh, British Academy of Songwriters Composers and Authors Brit Award winner Doctorate from Yale Gershwin Prize Kennedy Center Honors, Star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, uh, Légion d'honneur. I guess that's a French oui. thing. Oui. <laughs> I guess. I My accent was certainly not.
0: Uh, Music Cares Person of the Year in 2012. And uh, the last one, the uh, Companion, right? He's been given the yeah. Companion to the Crown. That was just uh, this year.
1: Yeah, a few months ago.
0: At, that is the royal family. That is Buckingham Palace saying, is there anything we haven't given him yet? I don't think so, Your Majesty. What about companion? Well, there's only 60 people in the world. Yes, let's give that to him. Did you see the ceremony? I don't no. know if we talked about this. Other people come up, and I don't care who you are or how famous you are. You know, I as, as Cliff Richard had said when he was up here, you're, no matter how flippant you can be, when the moment comes, And you kneel, and it's the Queen of England, you're a British schoolboy, and you you bow your head, and whether you're touched with the sword or the necklace or something, you're shaking. It's suddenly like, you know, the history going back to Cromwell is in there because it's the pomp and circumstance and the royal thing. And people are coming up there, um, yes, Your Majesty, she says, thank you for your service, and they say, you're very welcome. And where do you live now, Sussex? Okay, get keep moving. Keep it moving. You know, it's just they do the thing. She has a moment of chit-chat. Keep it moving. She gives it to Paul, and he's got that little Paulie smile. He's got that, hey, yeah, your majesty, pretty fine girl. No, going to make a mug. Yeah. <laughs> hey, your majesty, thanks. And they just start talking. Watch the video. They just start talking. Like, did they ever fix the garden? Yeah, no, they're coming back a second time. Yeah, no, it's hard to get them. You know the stones are different. You see? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was, and they're just talking. And eventually, she, you know, he says, "Well, we better wrap it up." Says, yeah. Okay. Thank you. And they're just hanging out and talking, and every nobody's getting antsy because it's the queen. You never move your eyes, but you could see it was just two old friends. And hey, I, I thought us. Hey, well, look at this. I thought of something else to give you. Hey, thanks very much. Yeah, No, me dad's looking down, smiling. Yeah, me <laughs> mom. And on you go. And for his birthday, when you, do you look back and sit, sit on your laurels? No. In 2018, Paul's releasing a new album, goes back to Liverpool to just a little club, a little like sort of library town hall, and does a spontaneous live show, a sneak show with the band with Brian Ray and Rusty and Wix and Abe. And they rock out and play a new song. And it might, we posted it. If you go to q1043.com, uh, you'll see the video of it. And as he's leaving the hall, and this is such a Liverpudlian thing, as he's leaving the hall, somebody yells out, Rock on, you gangster. <laughs> and I just thought that's the greatest compliment you'd ever want when you're 76 years old. Like. Yeah. Andrew, get down and dirty, baby. You know, <laughs> crank it up. When you're 76, not, Andrew, it was, uh, you know, you had some good years there, which is, having some good years there is better than never having any good years there. But, you know, rock on, you gangster. That's, that's, that's what, if, what he would want, I think. You know, if there's a, mm-hmm. if there's a tomb, a mausoleum, a statue, it would be rock on. That's all it's been about. And it's just amazing. There's a, <laughs> when it, I was starting to look at Paul's stats on the internet. <laughs> this is just one of the funniest things. And before I got to Wikipedia, I just typed in, you know, Paul McCartney into Google. And the third thing that show that pulls up is a website that asks, is Paul McCartney the Illuminati? <laughs> the <laughs> Yes. Is Paul McCartney No, is he in the oh. Illuminati? We asked an art critic. And that's <laughs> where we are in twenty eighteen is he is he non-human is he mm-hmm. is he of the elders is he of norse magic yeah. <laughs> that that's a connection to the muse but that's what all his coworkers did said did paul mccartney build stonehenge right and i'm sure i am sure if you guys google right now paul, did paul mccartney build stonehenge you'll find like a 7000 word essay mm-hmm. explaining why he's the only one who could have taken the the rune stones mm. from here to there in Sussex and mm. put it up on the Salisbury Plain. Like nobody else could have done it but right. Paul. And he used his guitar yeah. and he used music to make the stones dance and go there by himself. I, I we're making it up and somebody's writing it down and <laughs> right. putting it up there. Um, there's so many quotes when Donovan was here years ago and British, you know, troubadour and, uh, Paul asked Donovan for help on yellow submarine. Um, as Donovan said, what we all thought about Paul McCartney, I said, was there jealousy? There had to be. And he said, it wasn't so much jealousy or resentment. It wasn't resentment. It was just the thought of, okay, I have five songs. Eric Clapton has 10, 20. What did Paul McCartney do in a previous life to get hundreds? Who gets hundreds? Beethoven gets hundreds. Mozart gets hundreds. What did your contemporary from Liverpool, did he dab our Savior's wounds? Who gets hundreds? If you believe in the muse that she parses it out and you have to be aware enough to see her hand out giving you a song, is he always in a, in a state of trance that he gets every single one before we see them? How do you get, as we went through the stats, over 200 songs that chart? It's amazing.
1: And to that point, a band that I've been writing a lot about recently is Sticks, a band that just uh, recently started playing "Mr. Roboto" again. You know they hadn't right. played that song since the '80s. That was
0: their, you know, sort of Yoko that moment. Was
1: their biggest song. It broke up the band because right. everyone but Dennis DeYoung hated it. But if you're not if you're not like a big Sticks fan, you're probably wondering. How many songs does Sticks have that they're not going to play Mr. Roboto for 35 years? Right. Well, they have a lot. They have Come Sail Away. They have Lady. They have Babe. They have Blue Collar Man, Too Much Time on My Hands. They have Hits on Hits on Hits. And this is a band that's not even in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And should be. And should be. Probably will be in in the next few years. I would think. But even that amount of success is not even a fraction of what Paul McCartney.
0: Or look at a band like Fleetwood Mac. This is one of the biggest bands in the world. They, they own the 70s. Yeah. Their numbers are tremendous. It can't touch the Beatles. You know what? Here's it can't th- touch even just what Paul McCartney
1: accomplished
0: with Wings
1: and the as same a period. solo artist in the same period. It's yeah.
0: I love the Stones. I this people say who are you every the age old question rock and roll are you a Beatles guy or a Stones guy, and honestly I'm a Beatles and Stones guy. I do breakfast with the Beatles. I probably listen to the Stones as much as I listen to the Beatles. I work out to Exile on Main Street. If I go to the gym, I'll just put that on in my headphones. I'm enamored of what they do. Hard blues, bringing in country. They did everything right to me so much, and they've been around. For the same amount of time, really. Started in 64. Beatles writing their first song, I Want to Be Your Man. And as John Lennon said, we wrote their second fucking record for them. Where where do you get off saying all those tardy things about the Beatles when everything you ever did, you try to copy, we wrote your second fucking record for you, so shut up. And not exactly wrong about that. You, don't, don't bite. Of all the hands to bite, don't bite ours, because we got you going. But even that, go go to the mat, go to the stats. If we're going to compare... Uh, you know LeBron James and we're going to compare Michael Jordan and they're both amazing but the Beatles still win going away as far as stats and what it means to the world it's amazing uh, there's a quote from John Mellencamp who's just as we're recording this in June of 2018 inducted into the uh, Songwriters Hall of Fame who said a song can be good for many reasons but a great song is a song that somehow is able to work itself into a person's psyche, his mind, and becomes part of that person. And I thought, you know, that's a great as great an analogy of a great song as anybody could ever sum it up.
1: Yeah, especially from someone who seems like he hates all songs.
0: Yeah, especially his own. <laughs> I don't really understand that. I, I'd rather paint than write songs. Well, Dylan paints. Bill, Dylan does metallurgy. Just, you know... If you're a Renaissance man and have different art forms, just do it. He, it's always been a scotch about that kind of thing. You always Such have a to crank that guy. Yeah, but he was a young crank. It's not like he became an <laughs> right. old cranky guy. He was always a cranky guy, like Ringo. You know, people say like, you know, Ringo's gotten old and bitter. No, no, Ringo was always like that. No, I don't want to. No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, ha- how did you get the Abbey Road album cover? You know, the story was supposed to be called Everest. They said, because getting this band back together to make a real album is like climbing Mount Everest. Mm. Yeah. Hey, why don't we go to Everest? Yeah, that's it. We'll go to Everest. Yeah, yeah, we'll go to Everest. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, be like the old days in a thing. And Ringer goes, why don't we just go outside and take a picture? Yeah, OK, we could do that too. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. We're not going to Everest. We, we thought about it for a minute, but we're not. But Paul just kept driving it and driving it and driving it. Um, as I'm looking through some of the uh, the facts, you know, in his his musical lore, you get to Rubber Soul as we change from the mop tops to mid-period Beatles. We go from I want to hold your hand, she loves you, yeah, 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 and now we're starting to get much more edgy and much more psychedelic Rubber Soul, the Pot Album, as he calls it. Uh, there's a musicologist in England, Ian McDonald, who wrote, In 65, McCartney would be in The Ascendant, not only as a songwriter, but instrumentalist, arranger, producer, and de facto music director of the Beatles. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, it was always John's band. It, you know, right. Paul's 15, you join the Quarrymen, it's John's band. It becomes Johnny and the Moon Dogs. It was always John's band, always John's band. And yet to say that, and he did an interview uh, for Life magazine, Paul said, we had our cute period, now it was time to expand. And we're writing on a much higher level. And it's absolutely true. And John's enjoying it because he's Paul is forcing the band to change. John wants to change. But a lot of uh, music critics are saying at that point, that's kind of what pushed George even further down below them in their minds, in John and Paul's mind, because our writing has taken off exponentially in terms of what we're trying to accomplish within a pop idiom. And George hadn't even caught up to them, like on sort of like they're in the sixth grade and George is still working on the fourth grade math. So they gave him even less. I wouldn't, the respect isn't the right word, but serious consideration, I think is it. If he said I had a song, it was just, oh, thanks. You know, so as we get from 65 through 66 with that mindset, we get to 67 and he shows them, hey, I've got the wildest, most far out thing. This album will ever have that's going to be out psychedelic even your your Lucy in the sky with Diamonds and John Lennon says yeah whatever <laughs> but you know it's Paul's idea of coming up with Sergeant Pepper they don't want to play anymore okay he's on the plane with Mal Evans with their the roadie who says pass the salt and pepper what'd you say Sergeant Pepper and that's literally you know something that innocent sparks the idea he's just the most open, creative person. Look, anybody who makes a painting, who makes anything, is creative. I've written some plays. Are they great? Are they awful? Are they important? No. But I have I found some moments that are heartfelt and honest that when it's done right, you could feel something. And I'm proud of it, and that's all I'll say about them. They're not hit plays. They keep being done in regional theater here and there. And that's cool, but um, it's not important. It's not Angels in America. But I feel like in that little moment... When you see a play like my thing called He Ain't Heavy and somebody, some people cry in the audience at a moment and I think, wow, I touched somebody. Now imagine multiplying that by the entire population of the world and the entire world says that about virtually every song you've written in the first half of your right. life. That's insane. How is, how is anybody, okay, he's beyond creative, he's beyond talented. But to be that open to sort of creativity and the muse, and again, he, uh, what, what was his phrase as we get to Sgt. Pepper? He said, we were fed up with being the Beatles. We really hated that fucking little four-mop-top approach. We were not the boys. We were men, and we thought of ourselves as artists rather than just performers. That sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, George Harrison always said that to uh, to Billy Connolly. He said, you know, we were the boys for so long, even in our 20s. Hey, the boys are here. And after a while, you start thinking about that word literally, in a literal sense, and it starts to drive you nuts. You're 25, you're successful. Hey, it's the boys. And you're almost expected to do something cute and flippant. You know, you're expected to be that, yeah, made left at Greenland, you know, and say something, and that's not where your head is at. They're exploring Schopenhauer. Paul is the one living in the city, He's going to art galleries. He's the one who went to the Indica Gallery and saw Yoko's work first. He's exploring the beat poetry movement in London. He's the one reading Ginsburg. John's in a house. John's kind of, you know, doing the country squire life. Paul is just the most thirsty artist I've ever seen in my life. Is that fair to say? Is that the right word?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it's appropriate.
0: When you think of somebody who, you know, appreciates his laurels, but never rested on them. Mm -hmm. And when people say things like, well, you know, he's just been repeating himself for 30 years, I, I think that's ridiculous to say when you've got the scope of work that we've just talked about. If you've written that many hit songs, you know, Haydn, one of the most prolific songwriters in the world, to say that a concerto that he wrote 10 years after he started is reminiscent of the first when he's written literally hundreds. To me it's ridiculous. If you if you have one song and you keep rewriting it. You know who that is for me? Coldplay. <laughs> I like Coldplay. I like Chris Martin. But everything sounds like clocks to me. Every song is clocks. Every the the instrumentation, the arrangement, the sound of his voice, it's all every song is the the Coldplay song. And when you look at Paul's career for the most intimate things, and then changing gears after this incredible career with Wings and all these hits that he's had, and then you go solo, and you've got these amazing hits. I mean, start before Wings. You start with a, an intimate album you record on the farm. Then you get to Ram with uh, number one hit, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. And the critics go, yeah, well, that's very beatle Well, yeah, it should be. It's supposed to. It shouldn't sound like... Remember me? It's Paul from The Beatles. Yeah, it shouldn't sound like Pink Floyd. It should sound Beatley because he's The Beatles. Then you start this tour out of the blue again with Nobody and Rebuild Wings. Then you get your first U.S. number one single in 73 with My Love. Then Live and Let Die, which again, hey, you want to do a Bond song? Yeah, sure. And it becomes the definitive Bond song of the world, of the entire franchise. It's just absolutely wild. He comes up with Magical Mystery Tour. And whether things work or don't work, he just keeps going. They wanted to buy the rights to Lord of the Rings, to Tolkien, and they wanted to score it and act in it and do that as a movie. (laughs) And the estate said, no, not on your life. And, I mean, it wouldn't have been Lord of the Rings as we know it. My guess is it would have been kind of a crappy movie, by the way Magical (laughs) Mystery Tour came out. But could you imagine what the music would have been? you imagine John and Paul scoring Lord of the Rings?
1: That would have really cut Zeppelin's knees out from under it.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking, for, forget Ramble On. If you have John and Paul writing the Hobbit song, oh man, that could have been amazing.
1: So I'm glad they didn't get the rights to Lord of the Rings, but it would have been interesting to see them do some sort of concept album or just to see Paul do sort of a concept album around a, a work of fiction.
0: Absolutely, rather than, well, he created his own with Sergeant Pepper's, and people complain and say, you know, it's not a concept album. You know, we went through this when Jeff Emmerich was here, the engineer, and it is. It's Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Is it nebulous? Yes. And did people do more refined concept albums like Tommy and Quadrophenia? Yes. And there was Give My Regards to Broad Street, the movie, and again, bad movie, wonderful soundtrack. Lonely Nights. You know, Paul's Paul's music writing, as opposed to his story structure when it comes to film, that's not his strength. But you do wind up, as we said, here's the opening. Sergeant Pepper's band. The Beatles leave. Sergeant Pepper's band walks on stage and then each individual in it, you know, does a song that they've done over the last twenty years of one of their hits. So it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And at the end the Beatles come back on to play when they play live. And we go into A Day in the Life, and the Beatles wrap up the album that Sgt. Pepper's was just on the stage. And then the Lonely Hearts Club Band leaves. The Beatles come back on the end. And I'm not saying I got it first time around, but the more I listened to it with the reissue, I certainly got it. But they were just exploring. But I think John was on a different path. There's a quote that John gave Rolling Stone magazine in 1970. After Brian died, Paul took over and supposedly led us, you know. We went round in circles. We broke up then. That was the disintegration, I thought. We've, I, I thought we fucking had it. To John, after Brian Epstein's death, either going in circles. To Paul, he's moving forward. But John doesn't want to move forward in the Beetle car. He wants to move forward with Yoko. And to him, going in circles, to Paul, it was, well, help me. You know, it's, it's part of the thing like, well, where do you want to go? I want to go with Yoko. Yeah, but that's not the Beatles. Where Where do you gonna want to go with me? Where do you want to go? Wherever you want to go musically, I'll take it. And again, I'm, it's, it's, it, somehow this is going to come out as, oh, he's not a big John Lennon fan. I'm as big a John Lennon fan in the world as there is. But when it came to recording and writing, John was a little bit lazy about it. He had the inspiration and wanted to do it, and that's that. And then he would look back and say, you know, we'd spend three fucking weeks working on a Paul McCartney song and we'd spend two hours on mine. Well, that's nobody's fault but yours, because when it's your song, Andrew, you have a song, we'll work on it for an hour, a day, or a month. You tell us when you're satisfied, because you're the one who brought this in. It's your concept. You know, Paul worked on Obladi Oblada until they almost killed him and threw him off the roof. But in the end, he got it right because John got the tempo right and the energy of it right. And Paul was grateful. But when John wasn't happy with something, he was fine saying, all right, the hell with it. It's good enough. Jeff, you do something with the voice. As opposed to one, he got bored easily, I think, with the craft part of it.
1: Right, but also that quality of just being, letting something go and being fine with the way things are. As someone who's recorded and with a band, a a five-piece band, you need more people who can do that you mm-hmm. need more people who just like okay that's just what we sound like and you're too close to it so you know the engineer says it's good then it's good we've been doing this for too long we're all going insane
0: we're starting to get to the Trogs dubba 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 <laughs> chuck moment you yeah. know that right you mm-hmm. know the Trogs, yes and, you know, when they talk about, you know, we didn't have a say in it. We recorded one take, and it was out. And could we do better than that? No. You know, and <laughs> it goes back around to that. We're trying for, you know, an entire evening to record Give Me Some Love and it's just disintegrating before our eyes. But you're right. But if you're one of the kings, if there are two kings in the band, like the Eagles had Glenn Fry and Don Henley, you know, and if, if Timmy Schmidt had a song or Don Felder had a song, it definitely wasn't taken as much care as getting Don or Glenn's song right because they're the kings of the band. And I think John's frustration was that he wanted to leave. He didn't want to take the Beatles in a different direction. Like, you know, after Brian died, Paul took over and supposedly led us. Well, it's your band. You can, When Brian died, you could have said, OK, here's how I see the Beatles for the next few years. Here's what I want to do. And Paul would not have fought him at all. Paul wanted somebody to... if uh, he Paul did it because he didn't see John doing it. And that begins at the age of 15. John wanted to get drunk, play skiffle music, and get laid. That's There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul saw not only a bigger picture. I really believe in my heart that Paul, at 16 years old, saw what they could become, that realized that he and John... Whether out of pure ego, pure teenage libido eagle, he believed they would be the greatest songwriters in the world and was not going to take no for an answer until they proved it that they were or they weren't. And there always has to be somebody in that band to drive that bus to go, no, Andrew, do it again. Do it again. Nope, nope, you're not getting it. Do it again. Bruce was like that in the E Street Band. We always talked about Pete Townsend. Some, gu- some guy's got to be the asshole who keeps going, no, no, keep going, do it again, do it again. <laughs> Didn't get it. And that drove them nuts, but the heights they got to are untouchable by anybody else. And that's the part that they, I think they know, but it bothers them that, you know, Paul is right. It's when it's my, my favorite edification at that point was when let it be naked came out, when Paul remastered the album Uh with, with George Martin and took all of Phil Spector's production off. And remember, number one hit, Long and Winding Road, huge hits, Let It Be, huge monster hit with Phil's production. He strips it off and they asked Ringo, well, what do you think of Let It Be Naked? And he said, well, you know, that's what it should have sounded like. Paul's right. Of course. Paul's always right. and And I thought, yeah, that's it. You resent the fact that Paul's always right. But, could you conceive of you, a drummer in Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, having all this if he wasn't always right or at least told you do this, do that, do this, do that? Just say it.
1: Yeah, and you, we were talking about Paul's more recent work, new the album that came out in twenty thirteen and love that album. The new album that's maybe coming out
0: this week tomorrow. Weekend. Yeah. Here in uh, June of twenty eighteen. Uh, new Paul album because there's no there's no birthday present. He doesn't want cufflinks, right. he doesn't he doesn't need a boat, he doesn't need a Jaguar with his with like you know MCC on the thing. What does he want? He wants a new album. He wants the band to knock it out cold and play it on tour. Because yeah. there's no greater joy in his life. It's so obvious. There's not a. The, here's the thing. When people say, "Oh, you know, he's so show busy," no, no. on stage there's not a drop of bullshit in that act that's him you know it's not it's sincere he's happy he's enjoying it he loves telling stories he loves playing the music he's got a big smile on his face when he's playing live and let die for the 18,000th time because he knows you love it and playing music that you love is why his heart beats yeah and to knock him for that is ridiculous
1: it, it is ridiculous, and Paul knows that he doesn't need to put an album out to get back on tour. He knows that he could have stopped releasing new music in 1979, and he could the still be— The legacy secure. Put, and and nothing, nothing really would have been different. There would have been a few songs along the way that we love that wouldn't have come out, but he he'd have been fine. He'd still be the richest musician ever, and <laughs> and he'd still get every single but,
0: one of those awards.
1: But he does it anyway, right? You know, the performing live is like you can understand why people want to do that as long as they can because it's fun. It's it's an activity. You know, do, it, do you
0: get up? Does your heart race when you get on the stage? Do yeah, you get focused? Right?
1: It's um. You know, it can be stressful and scary but that's part of what makes the you feel alive you know those are the feelings that are motivating stress fear joy right
0: whether it's sports or sex right. or playing music
1: and so he's someone who gets those feelings also from creating something new Without and i a think doubt. that's really inspiring that nobody is going to get into paul mccartney's music because they heard the new album <laughs> Right. Everyone has, has 40, 50 years of history with this music and with this artist from the Beatles, from Wings, from Paul McCartney as a solo artist, from Paul McCartney collaborating. Nobody's getting into it with this album. Maybe they got into it with the Kanye song or with some of his other collaborations. But this isn't going to be the album that people were like, oh, it was... I've been was, waiting for this one. Yeah, this, that's that's the one that changed everything for me. Right. And he knows that, but it's still, it's worth doing because he has the songs in his heart.
0: Right, he has the passion for it. 2015, he writes with Rihanna, Kanye, they come out with four or five seconds. And on the last tour, which I think I kind of strong-armed you to go see, right? Didn't you and Kyra go see him at the Garden? Yeah, we did. So... He played in the breakdown when they do acoustic, they strip it down. He played the first song he ever wrote and recorded with John Lennon in spite of all the danger in 1958. And he played the song he wrote in 2015 for five seconds. That would be a span of 57 years. On that stage, in three hours, he played two songs they'd written 57 years apart. And when he finished that, as tunes would come, and he'd scribble them down, or maybe record them on an iPhone or whatever. When he got enough tunes, his thought is, "I'll make an album." And I think his expectations—I, you know—I have no idea what his expectations are. As a businessman, I'm sure he's got very high expectations and wants it to be liked and wants it to be successful. But I think, on a personal level, as an artist, he wants—he wants it just to be—you know—he wants it to be the best he could do. And he wants people to say, wow, I really liked it. He said when the album New came on and he was in the back of a car and the BBC was playing it, and he said, it was embarrassing, actually. Here I am, like, you know, 70 years old, and my song comes on the radio, and I got goosebumps, (laughs) and I felt like I was 17 years old again, like, turn to the lads and go, hey, we're on the radio. And, again... If you think that's stupid or embarrassing or he should be above that, I call bullshit on that. That's love, exactly what every artist should be. Every every baseball player should be thrilled when they hit a home run. Even Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth, mm-hmm. when you score, when you do the right thing, that should be a thrill. Because if it's not, don't do it.
1: I love if next time we have Brian Ray on the show, Yeah, if we could get him to really elaborate on he's done... Two, three, four albums with Paul, right? And he's talked about last time he was here. He talked about how after a while you get it, you get to know how Paul's mind works musically. And I just like to know when he gives you new songs, how how does he present those, and how long does it take you to go like, oh, I know, I know where this is going, right? Or or does that not happen? Are there are there surprises that he's still throwing in that'd be, right. that'd be right. fascinating
0: is he still throwing out ideas that you didn't see coming yeah you know like as we're going back to his uh to the chronology from the 80 you know through the 80s well you know he's done now you know 70s i was wings now what's he going to do um he does ebony and ivory and this girl is mine again eight gajillion million copies of it later pipes of peace on we go. We get to the 90s. And now let's make a change. What what mountains haven't I conquered? Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Society commissions him to write a classical piece. He comes up with Liverpool Oratorio. Kiri Tikanawa, famous opera singers, Sally Burgess. And I really liked it. And I gave it to my classical friends to say, listen, I like this, but I'm biased because it's Paul. But the melodic lines are beautiful. And there's a structure to it that you wouldn't have expected to to come up with. What do you guys think? And they all said it's very very good. Classical music will be too snobby to play it because they have to stand above it and pretend that a guy from the Beatles can't write an oratorio, but it's absolutely spectacular. And I've heard it played live and it absolutely positively works and really, you know, it, it takes it to another level. So now, we're not, we're not going to form a band anymore, but I've got musicians I trust, like you said, with Brian Ray and Rusty Anderson and Paul Wiggins, Wicks, and April Aboreal Jr. And these guys first started with him in 2002, and they have been playing with him and recording on and off for 16 years, which is much longer than the Beatles. Remember when Brian was here, I said, you realize you've been playing with Paul longer than the Beatles, and he just kind of... He did not was, realize it. No, his eyes kind of <laughs> bugged out. He went, you serious? I said, think about it. He said, you're right. Yeah. And suddenly it stopped him. Like, this is just my our band. I know where... But, you know, I think, Paul, that's his comfort zone. Brian's to my left. Rusty's to my right. You know, Wicks is back right. Abe's right behind me. So when I turn on stage, or if I feel like making a move and change up something I know who to look at and after 16 years you can anticipate it and I think that's the thing about being in a band and I'm sure even at the level that 100,000 has your band there have to be moments on stage where you know what's coming even though there's a change you kind of know what's going to come next what somebody's going to play you can feel it
1: it's more like I know when to look out
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) right when when something's going to hit you exactly um when paul gets back on the road in 2002 with the guys it's the driving world tour the driving rain album us mexico japan double life album from that that tour 2002 makes 126 million dollars making 2 million a night again it's not just resting on the laurels if there are there are great you know tribute bands out there And there are bands that are playing their hits and they go out with two bands, you know, on a tour or sometimes three bands on a tour and they're playing summer sheds. But nobody's got this. Nobody brings this suitcase of songs with them. Nobody. Robert Plant doesn't. Eric Clapton doesn't. The Stones don't. The Stones are the only thing, only element that they can even touch. The, the, you know, the, the the suitcase of songs that he's got. And still, I could sit and watch a six-hour concert of the Stones and give me Sympathy for the Devil and give me Shelter and give me Exile, give me the medley and Rock This Joint, all of it, and and play all of Sticky Fingers. Yeah, it's not going to be Pepper or White Album. Or, you know, it's still just that. There's a shelf that Paul and John sat on as, as songwriters. And George has his moments that are as strong, if not stronger. But it's a shelf that nobody else touched.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned um, earlier, before we started, to think of some Paul songs or or Paul contributions that I really liked. Yeah. And I started thinking up tunes, and, and the word that came to me to describe him was versatility. He really he he kind of finds his way in almost anything like you mentioned ebony and ivory with stevie wonder i love that song
0: it's a perfect song
1: it, yeah it's a perfect song um so with the beatles i think of i want you which was i guess more of a lennon song right helter skelter both of those songs they're like th- those are like proto proto hard rock very much so the beatles started prog rock they maybe not lit the spark of heavy metal, but like put put all the kindling there for heavy metal.
0: Oh, without a doubt. Where did John where did Johnette Whistle get his bass lines from? Right. Go listen to Paperback Rider. Listen to Paperback Rider and then listen to Can You See the Real Me? Put them on one after another for base for people who are bass players or fans of the bass. Go back to back and you go. Oh, and
1: then listen to Boris the Spider. Yep, and then then listen to Motorhead.
0: <laughs> very well said. You know that's where it goes. That's where let me get to. Yes, it's,
1: it's it's not one degree away. It might be two degrees of separation, but it's very close and it's very important. Um, and then another John song, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." We raved last summer when the uh, remaster of Sgt. Pepper's came out. How? The bass makes that song. What Paul brought to it is is unmistakable.
0: Yeah, to play that staccato descending line, just that boom, 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 boom. I mean, you could have added so much more to it. And genius sometimes is leaving the space. Actually, the truth is, it's the biggest thing I don't hear in pop music today, is they fill every yeah. single... Every quantifiable measure with a sound and nobody leaves any room for a song to breathe.
1: And speaking of rests, Live and Let Die. Yeah. That song has always, I put that on my list too, not because I love it really. I'm not a huge fan of that song, but I'm intrigued by its success. Because when you sit down and you look at the way that song is put together, the structure of it, it's very odd.
0: Yeah, it's three songs.
1: It's it's three separate songs. There's just part of it that's a few seconds of dead air. <laughs> and then there's a lot of noise with the full, you know, or orchestra. Big band, the orchestra. Yes. Um. So the fact that he turned that in for the movie song, which it's it's a great cinematic sort of a song, but then for it to be a hit on top of that, beyond the movie... When I think of Live and Let Die, I don't think of James Bond.
0: You think of the song? I just think of the song. Me too.
1: The song has outlived the movie to me.
0: Oh, by a million to one. A million to one. It was was a summer Bond movie. The song, from the day it was released, it was played on radio, and to the day we're recording this podcast, it's being played on classic rock radio anywhere in the Western world, in Europe and in America and all points northwest and south. Because... It's that song. This song, definitely, I mean, for this three-minute song. And the, the, if you want to pick apart Paul's songwriting, you could just do it in that one song, as Andrew said. Three songs. We start with this beautiful piano ballad. You know, just nice, simple chords. And then you, we change just to a minor key. You know, makes you give in and cry. And just, you could, st- right from there, give in and cry, live and let die. But no, it's that little that da, set da, da. it's this little shelf that he builds before you jump into the chaos of live and let die with explosions. That little thing. I'm like, nobody else would have thought of that. To add that little measure, da, da 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 to set it up so that you're in the ballad and then you step up on a shelf and then you go into the maelstrom of the orchestra going nuts. Which he did at the end of a day in the life. He and John took turns where they all they said to the orchestra is go from your lowest note to the highest note. You, next to him, go from your highest note to the lowest note. Next to him, you go low to high and just play it in any random order. But we'll finish together. And the orchestra couldn't do it. Uh, George Martin said they had no idea what they were talking about. And he said, no, it's very simple. And they just showed him on a guitar like, no, I don't get it. So George actually had to write out where to start and finish because they're classic. It's... You know, London Phil, classically trained. They're great. Improvisation, not their strength.
1: Not part of the training. Not
0: part of the training. So when they worked it out, so you take that idea, that concept of the cacophony of a day in the life, and then bring it into "Live and Let Die" in a totally different way with the piccolos flying, da, 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 frit, da, da, frit, of like sparks. To me, that's audio yeah, yeah. sparks flying. Yeah. You know, like a a Roman candle going off, and. It's just the breadth of things. It, this, you know, in so many bands or, or so many songwriters, this guy is the beautiful balladeer. This guy is the metal guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there are no ballads in Deep Purple. I love Ritchie Blackmore's riffs, but there, there's just riffs. Yeah. That's what it is. You know, the Stones have beautiful ballads and country and hard rock and blues, and the Kinks wrote beautiful ballads and hard rock, but McCartney has done everything.
1: Yeah, it it just amazes me that the Beatles could and and I still don't know why they were able to do it, just to be so many different things over the course of their career. And you know, Metallica slowed down a little bit between And Justice for All and the Black Album, and people accuse them of selling out. <laughs> yeah. Like it's still heavy metal, folks. I don't right. I I don't get it. So, but Paul could also be funny. Oh, blah, dee, blah, da. I've talked before on the show. That song is so silly, but I have always loved it. Um, you Never Give Me Your Money. We've talked about what that song might mean. But it's still, it's there's something light about it, something tongue, tongue-in-cheek, which is maybe the self-deprecation of it. Right. Um, fixing a Hole, I've always really it's liked. It's a
0: great song. It's a great psychedelic song. Fixing a hole where the rain gets in to stop my mind from wandering.
1: It's got so like, sort of a folksiness to it, and then also that that esoteric psychedelia. Right. And um. Good night tonight. Cool which song. I, I urged Brian Ray to tell, to ask Paul <laughs> to play before their uh, their show that we saw. That's one of my favorite Paul McCartney or Wings songs. Don't
0: worry. Yeah, it's a great that song. Sort
1: of samba kind of. Disco, I, I don't even really know what, what you would call that, but the bass line in that song is amazing.
0: My wife Jane and I talk about earworms all the time, mm-hmm. the greatest songs. And we say people put up earworms where you, you hear the melody and you just can't forget it. It's Mozart, it's Gershwin, it's Brian Wilson, it's Paul McCartney. You hear a melody once and you can't forget it. Well, we both say Paul doesn't just put, give you an earworm. He takes an electric drill. When he comes out with a song and goes zzzz zzzz, zzz. yeah, th- all right, you'll never forget that one. Here's another one, zzzz zzzz. The new <laughs>
1: song I had that happen with me. I just I watched the some, song new some blurry yeah. This, yep. No. The, oh, the new song called, that he just released. The Most recent song. Yes. Um, that oh. they played at the secret show in Liverpool. Right. The girl is you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it Wait, something now. about getting home?
1: come home to you
0: yeah i don't have it in front of me offhand
1: well for the next several hours after i saw just the blurry cell phone footage i that song whatever the chorus was was in my head it was almost like i didn't even realize where the music was coming from and then i remembered oh it's that paul mccartney song that i heard
0: right he was just 50
1: something years into his career and i'm still the new music he's putting out i might not love it I haven't heard it in a proper recording, but it's still an earworm.
0: But you remember it. That when the album New came out, the, the title song, you know, da-da-da-da, da 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 whoa, 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 whoa. That little music hall, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. He loved English Music Hall for a reason and brought it into rock and roll, used it when it was appropriate, put it in, think Rocky Raccoon, you know, doing his country way black in the mo- Black Mountain Hills, North Dakota, and that's English Music Hall completely. Okay. Okay, go ahead.
1: I, I just want to say that I'm very dumb. <clears throat> I'm going to see Dave Matthews' band this weekend as part of a family obligation. <laughs> the Girl Is You, or That Girl Is You, is a new Dave Matthews band song. It's awful. <laughs> the new Paul McCartney song is Come Home To You. Okay. So I conflated the two. I just want to apologize. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Somebody you. caught that and was like, What is he talking about?
0: Thank you, producer okay. Andrew. Thank you. Okay. My list of Paul McCartney songs that make me cry. To this date, from the time I heard them till now. For no one with done as that waltz tempo. The day breaks, your mind. It. I mean, just it's so sad. And then just to just to gild it so there's no chance I won't cry. George Martin puts the weeping violins on it at the end, like every time. Even sitting here in the studio doing Breakfast with the Beatles, I just <laughs> it just can hit me. She's leaving home. My wife oh, bursts absolutely. into tears every minute. Again, the best of the two of them. John saying, "I'll sing the parents' part," as the as the answer. The refrain will be, "I instead of singing just harmony with you." She, we gave her. All of Allah is leaving. You know, I'll just sing the refrain to that. Mull of Kintyre, absolutely. When the bagpipes come. um, Here's what, from the album The Fireman that he did under uh, Nom de Plume that he did with Youth of Killing Joke. Um, The song Sing the Changes. Every ladder leads to heaven. That song, I'm running along the water. It, you know, the sun is going down. A little chill is starting. That song came out. And I just exploded in tears. I can't tell you why. And from that moment on when I heard the the spirituality of it. And now when a, a friend passes or a musician in the world passes, that's my song to play from. And I had listened to it for a while and thought, yeah, you know, nice stuff on here. And in that moment that one moment of catching this beautiful sunset and I'm running and the endorphins kick in and that song hit. I literally had to sit down. I was crying too hard to keep running. I think, son of a gun, how does this guy do it? It's just in him. You, I, you could study music. You could stay at Berkeley for 20 years. You could be one of the greatest music students in the world. You won't get to y- yesterday. You won't, you'll never get to Eleanor Rigby. To me, you have it or you don't. I could have spent 20 years learning to hit a major league curveball I was a good hero. As an amateur in high school, I could hit. I was a Punch and Judy guy. I guarantee you, I'd never hit a major league curveball. I could nick one back. You know, I could foul one off once in a while and maybe get lucky. But get up there all the time and hit it? No. And this guy just knocks it out over and over and over and over. And at 76, with a new album, there's going to be songs in there we're going to hear and go, man, that's just, you can't get that out of your head. Like I said, it's not going to sell like Band on the Run did. Nor do I think he would expect it to. It's a different world. He wants to put music out in the world that you hear and went, Man, that's fun. I can't wait to hear for him to play it live, which is what is in his head. Like, well, now, got to keep touring, right? Got a new album out. One of the lines that Brian Ray said to me that sums up Paul, um, I think you were here when he talked about it. Somebody, it was a listener who had asked, What's your favorite place to play? What's the show you look for most? Do you remember this? No, I don't. I said, Is it New York? Is it London? Is it Liverpool? Where's that place that Paul is just so psyched like I can't wait? Well, circles the, the calendar for that show. And Brian said, Ah, such an easy question to answer. Honest answer. It's not London or New York or Liverpool. The show Paul is dying to play more than any other is the one we're gonna play tonight. Akron, Ohio, Sussex, Norway, Japan, wherever we are. The show we're about to go on. Before we go on stage, after sound check, we get together and we kibitz and we screw around. And Paul will say, "Huh, oh, nervous tonight. I don't know if I can go out there." And we go, "Oh, come on, Paul, one more." And then he'll pull us aside and say, "Seriously, guys, we got to really rock them tonight. We've got a great audience. Come on, we got to be on the best. We got to really rock them. I want them up there and jumping. Come on, we got to hit it right off the bat." And he he's giving us a pep talk. And what is it? Where's my notes? Sixteen years. And that's Paul. I, I got to give the band my pre-game pep talk so that we don't have any loose ends. When we hit that stage, we go. And I truly think that's been in his head since he's 15 years old. Don't screw around. John, you're drunk. Got to talk about that because we can't do have that again. <laughs> because this is, this is our lives. This isn't for fun. The fun is ex- is doing it perfectly. He's a perfectionist. And he's on such a high level You know, great Count Basie was that. Uh, New friends who played in the Basie band. And they were great. One of the great big band orchestras. And they said, if you were off, if you were not even playing a clam, but if you were late on a change, he'd just look at you immediately. Forty guys on that set, if you were the guy who was late on a clarinet, he'd just glare at you from the piano. And you knew, busted. Shit, I wasn't paying attention. You know, and after the show, you could have killed it for two and a half hours, walk off the stage and... I, you'd be the guy to always come over to him and go, hey, sorry, Count, I, yeah, th- that won't happen again. Make sure it doesn't. <laughs> it's, you know, those guys, there's a level that that's, that's the professionalism, uh, professionalism that goes along with this insane talent. There's so many talented people that just didn't have the drive or the discipline, I think, to get the music out there. You combine all those three elements, drive, discipline, and talent beyond your imagination, you get these stats and you get Sir James Paul McCartney. Happy birthday, Paul McCartney. Long may you live and keep on writing and keep on playing. It, you know, it's kind of like me doing radio. My, my financial advisor said, do you have a date in mind when you want to retire? I said, yeah, I do. When I draw my last breath, hopefully that's my last radio show on Q1043. And he laughed. I said, no, I'm not kidding. I love this. As crazy as it is, this is what I do. And I enjoy it. I never come here. and go, oh, God, i got to do this. And that's the thing, I think, with great musicians. From Bono to Bruce to everybody else, they love doing it. And, you know, you take as much in your band, 100,000, take as much from his example as you can and bring it into your band. It's going to be good. Hopefully. Happy birthday, Paul.
1: Happy birthday, Paul.